0: Hippie witch, hippie witch, a happy hippie place for getting rich, rich, rich on wisdom (laughs) and love, books and fun, magic for a new age, season one. Hi, Chelsea, what shall I call you? Because we've just been calling you C.L. Polk for the book club, (laughs) so I don't know what to call you. My name is Chelsea. So that's,
1: used... a, that's okay to say Public, I didn't know if it was a secret, you know, if it's... Easy. Oh, no, it's just when I first published short stories, it was a CL polk, so I just kept the continuity.
0: Okay, okay, yeah. okay, good to know. Hi, thanks for joining me for episode 446 of Hippie Witch, Magic for a New Age. My name is Joanna DeVoe, and I am the groovy creatrix behind Kick-Ass Witch, Putting the K in Magic, and Hippie Witch, the show you are listening to right now. I also have a free ebook by that name, Hippie Witch, Peace, Love, and All That Good Shit, and you can pick up a copy of that at www.joannadevoe.com or back on the description page for this episode, back on Blog Talk Radio, where you will also find a link to today's super kick ass guest, C.L. Polk. I just played a little snippet. Actually, that's that was that was not a snippet from the interview. That was before the interview started, but I was already recording, so I just decided to throw that in to give you a taste of what's to come. And here's the thing: I won't be rambling at you before the interview this time. I'm just gonna say a thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you to anyone who has ever, ever supported the podcast over on Patreon, especially those of you holding down the fort right now during this pandemic, this worldwide quarantine that we're all experiencing. I appreciate you more than ever, and I want to give a shout out to new patrons, Native Keeps, Elizabeth Helena Friesen, and Diana Chacone. I hope I said your names right. I apologize if I didn't. And I really just want to hop into this interview here today. I've had limited time, so I'm not moving through season one as quickly as I thought I would. And so here we are. I don't remember how many days ago it was that I posted the last episode, but it definitely was more than a week ago. And I just want to roll right into this interview with C.L. Polk, who wrote it is for 2020. We are mid-April 2020. This is so far my favorite witchy book of the year, and you know I read a lot of witchy fiction. It is the Patreon book club pick, the current Patreon book club pick, so we're discussing that over on Discord. And Chelsea is her name, C.L. Poke. The C stands for Chelsea. She was kind enough to come on the show to talk about writing, and magic, and what this particular book is all about, but I think even if you haven't read this book, you're going to love this interview because she's such an interesting person, and hopefully it makes you want to run out and get the book, Witchmark, Witchmark, And if you have read Witchmark, you are in for an extra special treat because we talk about things that are a part of the Kingston Cycle world. Witchmark is the first book in the Kingston Cycle series. We talk about the world building and things that are in that world in Chelsea's mind, but that didn't actually make it into the book. So I feel like this interview just fleshes out the world even more. So it's like cool, special bonus reading material, although you're listening to it right now. And I know so many of you listen to books nowadays, which trips me out. I think audiobooks are the number one growing. Are are they just the number one platform right now for readers? Are more people listening to books than holding paper books? I feel like I'm becoming a dinosaur, but I am in fact holding a paper copy of Witchmark in my hands, that I bought with my own money, proudly, and I love it. I love to have the physical copy of a book, and I thought I would read the back cover blurb to you to give you a sense of what we're about to be talking about here. So, here we go. A stunning, addictive fantasy that combines intrigue, magic, betrayal, and romance. In an original world reminiscent of Edwardian England, in the shadow of a world war... Cabals of noble families use their unique, magical gifts to control the fates of nations, while one young man seeks only to live a life of his own. Magic marked Miles Singer for suffering the day he was born, doomed either to be enslaved to his family's interest or to be committed to a witch's asylum. He went to war to escape his destiny and came home a different man but he couldn't leave his past behind. The war between Eland and Lanier leaves men changed, strangers to their friends and families. But even after faking his own death and reinventing himself as a doctor at a cash-strapped veterans' hospital, Miles can't hide what he truly is. And what do you think that is? Yes, yes, Miles is a witch, my friends. Thus, the title of this book, Witch Mark. And I don't think that's too much of a spoiler. We talk about how in this world, there is a class system between witches and mages. And even though they all have magic, there is a hierarchy. And it's really intriguing. This is a book that is filled with social commentary that you don't even realize is happening while you're reading because you're enjoying the story that much. It's just a great story and I can't wait to dive into the sequel. Yes, there's a sequel and she said during this interview that there will be 3 books at least in this series. So, I'm looking forward to reading all 3. And without any further ado, here is the author of Witchmark, C L Poke, aka Chelsea. Hi Chelsea. Welcome to Hippie Witch.
1: Hi. I'm glad to be here.
0: We were just going over what to call you because you are famously C.L. Polk. Yes. I, I thought I had some special secret insider information, but you don't mind going by Chelsea, so I'm happy to call you Chelsea here today.
1: Okay, that sounds great.
0: Can you tell us why C.L. Polk is your <sighs>
1: pen name? Because... Years ago, I wrote some short stories, and I had published them under C.L. Polk, so I just kind of kept the continuity of the name. And I also, I wasn't really sure how, like, my full name would look on the cover of books, and C.L. feels very authorly.
0: It really does, and it's, like, hard to put a face to it, so you're a little bit more invisible as the author, unless readers are like me. Like, if I love an author, and I love you, I can officially say that. Um, (laughs) I have have to go snoop around. But it's funny that you mentioned short stories because that's how I found you. Oh. Yeah, it was Tor published. Tor is such a cool company to follow as a fan. And they published a short story of yours called St. Valentine, St. Abigail, St. Bridget. Yes. And I was like, this is the most beautiful thing ever, ever, ever. I shared it in my newsletter and in the body of that post where they shared your short story, there was an advertisement for Witchmark, and I could not buy it fast enough. That's great. Yeah.
1: So did you start with short stories? Yes. When I decided that what I really wanted to do was I wanted to learn how to be a good writer, I started by writing short stories. I published a horror story. It was the very first short story that I had written once I started taking this seriously. And I've published some science fiction short stories and a couple of fantasy stories all years and years ago. You know what's interesting? I think
0: there is, what would you call it, psychological horror in Witchmark. When you said the word horror, I was like, there are things in that that feel horrific to me. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. And I should say for people listening who are not in the book club, we are currently reading Witchmark. It's been our book club pick for a couple months now, actually, because people kind of roll in and out, and we're loving it so much. Yay! Yay! And so, of course, now we're all going to have to go read Stormsong, which is, which is the sequel.
1: Yes, the sequel. It came out on the 11th of February, so... And this is for the Kingston Cycle series, right? Yes. How many more books can we expect in this series? I am in the middle of second round edits on the third book of the series. And as far as I know, that's the last one. Mm -hmm. Um, I would have to come up with a new set of ideas Mm -hmm. (laughs) to have some more Kingston books. It could happen. It could happen. It could
0: Yes. I don't know how sensitive this is and I'm going to do my best to avoid all spoilers, but there's one character in Witchmark. It was interesting watching kind of the group, the book club read through it and we all just unanimously despised the character that is actually the narrator or protagonist of the sequel <laughs> for yes. not that we didn't we didn't dis- we didn't despise her at the end, but leading up to the end we were like I hate her. I want to like throw this book against the wall. I'm so angry right now. Grace, my problem child.
1: (laughs) Oh
0: God. I just wanted to shake her. I was so I for some reason the for some reason the number 140 sticks in my head. Whatever page number I got to, I remember being like, hurry up and read everybody. We all have to catch up to this page because I'm so mad and I have to talk about it.
1: <laughs> oh my goodness
0: it's so right. ma- It's so magical that you, in your own imagination, you write down this thing, and then here are a bunch of strangers like getting
1: worked up about people that do not exist. <laughs> That's, that is kind of the fun of writing for me is like writing it is fun, like sitting down with a blank page and like, putting all the words out and then arranging them so that they're pretty and all that. That's fun. But what's really fun is pacing back and forth while somebody's reading it and like they react. They'll be like, oh. I'm like, where are you? What part of the book are you oh. in?" <laughs> <laughs> yay. I'm so glad to hear that. It's fun for you because I,
0: I hear a lot of writers talk about the miserable writing process. You know,
1: the thing is, is that writing is really, it's really difficult. It asks a lot of the writer and, and it's really hard. And we all, all of us have these days where we kind of kick back and we're like, this is terrible. Why do I do this? But that's only some days. It's just fun. Mm.
0: I think the things in life, just in general, that are the hardest are always the most rewarding. Like you're like suffering and suffering. And then when you get that payoff, it's like, what's suffering? I don't remember the suffering. <laughs> 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 so how do you feel about people being very angry at one of your characters? Well, I
1: think it's the thing about Grace is that she has this position in the story where she represents the system that the status quo benefits from. Of course, they're going to be mad at her because she's, she's like, benefiting from everything that is happening in the book she doesn't even really think about it she kind of thinks it's her right and she thinks she's helping people like she's just completely ignorant she doesn't know what she doesn't know and so people don't like her because she represents like the evils of the system Mm -hmm. so of course they don't like her like it would be weird if they did (laughs) That's true. That's true. (laughs) You do such
0: a great job of disguising what I would call political commentary into a rip-roaring, fun fantasy
1: story. Ah, that's great.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that's your intention. Do you, do you worry ever like maybe people don't want this message or how do I present it in a way that's palatable or enjoyable? And then, you know, I'm like slipping my messages in here and there.
1: Well, it's just I have a I have a very basic system when it comes to like, what am I going to write next for my story? And that is that I pick something that I absolutely love. And then I pick something that I'm fascinated by, but probably need to know more about. And then I pick something that enrages me and I mush them all together. <laughs> it's, it's a formula. If that's
0: <laughs> one hell. If from what I've read, that's one hell of a formula.
1: So that's generally what I do. And that inevitably means that my books are, you know, they have a political message in there. You're going to read it. And it could be that, there are people who you know they don't they don't want to read about uh, they don't want to read a story about how capitalism absolutely depends on an oppressed underclass to survive and to and to profit they don't want to read about that so they're they're not going to read my book and that's okay it'll be there if they change their minds later yeah i'm
0: very interested in the ways that Art actually changes people's minds, I feel like it's a more powerful tool often than just a direct message. I really feel that films and books, sometimes even a song or a painting can yeah. reach into someone's heart. And it gives you an opportunity to step into someone else's shoes and see like from
1: their perspective, which makes all the difference. I agree, and another thing that I think about when it comes to um, writing, like from different perspectives, one of the things that I tell that I tell people and they're amazed by is that I say Grace is my favorite character. I love her, and like, what do you mean? (laughs) (laughs) And her name is Grace. Her name is Grace. (laughs) Yeah, it's like she's my favorite character. I love her, and and they'll say, what do you mean? And I I'll say like because she is absolutely herself like there's there's the bit where yeah she is part of the system in power Uh, she has a ton of privilege she's ignorant of what her privilege does to other people and at the same time she is a she is a lot of things that a lot of female characters are not allowed to be she's difficult she is ambitious she's aggressive and she takes a lot of action and she doesn't necessarily she doesn't necessarily wait for permission to do the things that she feels that she needs to do. The beautiful thing about Grace is that she is not, once she sees the truth of what's going on, she doesn't cling to it. She's like, oh, I was wrong. This is stupid. And I need to fix this.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I get that's where we're going perhaps to a storm song with a sequel that Yes. Okay. Yeah. I haven't read it yet. I'm very excited to read it. The reviews are excellent. And what I gather is that this is, this novel is kind of like what happens after you pull the rug out from
1: underneath this. Yes. It takes place almost immediately after the end of Witchmark. I'd say, well, not almost immediately, like about a week to 10 days after the last page of Witchmark.
0: That's so satisfying. And, and speaking of a week to 10 days, I, I do have a couple of questions for you yep. from the from the book club. And one you just reminded me of, Karen asked, she wanted to know about frost month and first day, and where did that come from? You naming like the months and the days of the week and all of that. Nobody
1: has ever asked me this. Oh, it's so intriguing. How is that possible? Oh my gosh. Okay. So I don't know, for some reason, I decided I needed a fantasy calendar that I wasn't going to go for a 365.25 day year with 12 months of like assorted numbers of days or anything like that. I was just going to be, um I was just going to make it really, really easy. And I was like, there are 360 days of the year. There's 360 days. There are eight months of 45 days each. And each month is kind of, It's the year of the pagan wheel. Nice. Yes. Uh, There's so so many witchy nods
0: to, to the pagan life in your book. It's delightful for anybody listening right now who's very witchy. You will
1: love that about the book as well. And frost month is basically it's the day after Samhain. Okay. That's where we are. In the year is the day after Samhain. And frost month goes to new year it's 45 days. It goes to new year. And then, um, the month for after, after new year's day is snow glaze. So it's a lot like our year. And, and it's very much like, it's very much like snow glaze is shortest day of the year. Oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> I love, I, I love this. And so I like came up with like these eight months of 45 days each. I came up with an old system for the days of the week and a new system for the days of the week. And then what I do is it's kind of this Canadian thing where we mix metric and imperial, where we'll say it's 22 degrees out, but I'm five foot seven. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, um, some people, some people will call the the, some people will use the new days of the week, which are just first, second, third, etc other days we'll use the old days of the week sowing, gathering reaping mending meeting and they get mixed up everybody knows both systems so they're used kind of interchangeably which is confusing in world building and my copy editor was like um can you give me a graph so that I know what the equivalent days are to make sure that they are correct Mm -hmm. and my editor Deanna Hoke is the best she's wonderful oh shout out to her I, I love that you created this system the second part of Karen's question
0: kind of rolls right into this she says I wonder how much of the world building was done outside of what actually showed up in the book and then she said or will that spoil storm song
1: <laughs> um well I mean there's a little bit more world building to know from like what happens in storm song I only kind of half mentioned that the reason why the storm singers are as important as they are is because they are protecting Eland against major storms. I kind of took a climate where you get hurricanes in the summer and blizzards in the winter. And I was like, okay, you guys get to have both. Don't you feel lucky? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And, and so like, I don't, I don't really talk about it too much because Miles isn't terribly concerned with it. He's kind of like, the storm singers take care of it. I'm not going to think about it. You know, it's just the way the system works. Because Grace is a storm singer. She thinks about it a little bit more.
0: Yeah. Well, can you tell people a little bit what, like, about what storm singers
1: are, what they do? They control the weather is the easiest way for me to describe it. Yes, weather magic, weather magic. They you My- weather magic. Miles
0: is the star of the first book, and I love him. I'm very sad that he's actually not the the center of Storm Song. Can you please tell me that there's lots of Miles in it anyway?
1: There's, Miles is in the story. I mean, Miles and Grace are, they're related. Yeah. <laughs> and and they, they spend time together like miles winds up in a place where grace can go and see him and talk to him fairly often throughout the course of the book mm. so there's still miles content happening in Stormsong. fabulous
0: because i truly love him and I, quite a few people in the book club including myself this this book i would not describe as a romance but there is a romance in it uh-huh. a, a queer romance and it was the first for many of us, myself included. And the reason why I've not read any of that, like sought that out to read Uh queer romances is I'm always hesitant about sex stuff. Like how heavy duty, how much of a bodice ripper is this? And (laughs) Your style is more my style. And so it was really fun for those of us that were new to that, to be like, I completely related. I saw myself in this relationship and it was just one, like a great introduction to those of us who are new to that.
1: Oh, that's great. One of the things that, that I was thinking about with the romance with Miles was that I was thinking, I was thinking about it in terms of like a fantasy novel with a romance in it, it generally doesn't necessarily have like a lot of hot and heavy romance bedroom scenes in it. So I wasn't like, I, I didn't take it off the table it's just that when I got to the point where it was like, hey, this is this is it. This is the moment. And and I had this very, like I had this, this psychological construct in my head that was Miles who was telling the story for me. That was my big lie is that I wasn't doing it. Miles was doing it. I was just writing down what he told me to do. Mm. <laughs> um, so I got to that point and I'm like, jeepers, what happens next? He's like, none of your business. Close the door. <laughs> but that's so miles. That's, pr-
0: that's, appropriate. that's appropriate. And that's my personal taste. It doesn't matter if it's a heterosexual romance or a queer romance. I have a book right now. I've been joking about it's lady porn that I was, just, I was so curious about this author and all of the amazing reviews. I'm like, I have to read this and cause it's fantasy and the premise is really cool. But I was like, here I go, everybody. I'm going to read this. And uh, <laughs> I don't think I'm a prude. I just like very, I like uh, love. That's what it is. I, I like the love. I, I'm there for the love stuff.
1: Yeah, I, I get that. And and so when I was writing the fantasy novel, I was very much like, okay, it's going to be about the love.
0: It's the love. Yes. Yes. So I love Miles and I love that he He, I don't want to give any spoilers, but he, he does have a romantic, possibly, we'll just say possibly a romantic interest in the book. And it's very cool and magical, everything you want from a romance. I also had to Google silver fork fantasy. Not much came up. It just kept bringing your work up. So then I Googled, I Googled silver fork and you
1: did write a silver fork fantasy. Can you tell us what that is? Well, basically, silver fork fantasy is something that I made up. And the reason why I made it up is because there is a category of popular novels in the early 19th century known as silver fork novels. They were written by the middle class to basically speculate upon the lifestyles of the rich and famous. And as the silver fork novel movement kind of went on, they started to become a little bit more critical of. Of the, the lifestyles of the rich and famous and a little bit sometimes even downright satirical. And I was thinking about like the, the novels that I write, like the Kingston cycle and, uh, the new novel that I have coming up later this year. And I was thinking, you know, how can I describe these? Because it never really feels like urban fantasy quite fits because I'm always thinking of urban fantasy as a very modern kind of, um, Kind of subgenre, like if you say urban fantasy you 're going to think like modern New York, modern Chicago, mm-hmm. modern minneapolis minnesota like it's it 's very much like twentieth to twenty first century with magic, and yeah. I was not well, I was writing the twentieth century, but I was writing the early twentieth century, and so I was thinking you know it 's a little bit like a fantasy of manners there 's a little bit of romance going on so fashionable too it's very like I can picture the clothes and the
0: buildings it's very stylish
1: yeah and that's that's part of that's part of the whole like Catherine Gore who was a major like a very famous writer of Silver Fork novels was very concerned with the the everyday fashion and material lives of the people she was writing about Mm. and so I came up with the name because it, was, it just seemed to fit what I was doing a little bit more. I didn't want to quite say that I was writing historical fantasy because it's not based on Earth, which is another thing that I expect if somebody says historical fantasy and then I'm like, oh, like what period? Which yeah. famous people? We were we were referring to it as Edwardian-ish.
0: Yeah, yeah. Edwardian-ish edwardian ish and just honestly, one thing I love about Grace from the split second she shows up is her her style <laughs> I could picture her in my head and I most the clothes the way you describe people's clothes and and meals and the look of things you really get a sense of place mm. and like a certain energy. Phoebe asked, too, I wanted to mention this. This is one of my pressing questions, too. Like, what is up with the apples? We want to know about the apples. This was an ongoing... We were. I was extremely intrigued about the, the apples.
1: What is up with the apples, lady? Okay, the apples is just basically... This is just one of my personal things is that I kind of was envisioning a city and i wanted it to be wonderful and the very first thing i thought was well there's obviously got to be bicycles everywhere and the second thing is that the city needs to be an orchard it needs to have trees like fruit trees as their public trees so anybody can like march up to a tree and and harvest the apples off of it they are they are the bounty of the city like, oh, it's so
0: magical, it's such an an amazing touch. And I was going, are there city, Is there any city that is lined with apple trees and and it shows up it a lot through the book, Just as
1: a detail, just part of the world. And I was like, oh my gosh, I love this so much. That's part of the world building that, that probably didn't make it very much onto the page. I had like my mental map of Kingston has neighborhoods, and each neighborhood has their own distinct variety of apple that was planted in their neighborhood except for the one neighborhood birdland which is a working class neighborhood and one of the things about birdland is that they went around to everybody else's neighborhoods stole branches off their apple trees and grafted them onto their apple trees so every apple variety that you can get in kingston you can find it somewhere in birdland (laughs) Oh my goodness. I, I feel like,
0: I feel like we have the inside tip here. That's such a cool world building thing. And it's actually reflective too of how, of culture, like how things are when you, when you go to those sides of town, you're going to get all the different kinds of markets and restaurants and flavors.
1: Yeah. And so I, I had thought about the city very much because it hadn't been too long since I had read Uh, The Death and Life of Great American Cities by, why is her name? Jane. Oh gosh. I can't remember her name. I'm going to Google it. The Life and Death of Great American Cities by Jane Jacobs. Okay. She wrote it in 1961. And basically what she was doing was she was critiquing mid-century urban planning policy. And she is basically like, you know, this is, this is where great neighborhoods go to die. I had read it because I was very interested in the the politics of my city, Calgary, Alberta, and my city councilor is very much a proponent of Jane Jacobs' Great Neighborhood. So I wanted to know what he was talking about. So I read the book, and it wound up bleeding into this book idea that I had.
0: Yeah, I can see that. That's so interesting. We have a painter we had. He's no longer on the planet. His name was Leo Politi. And when they started tearing up our old Victorian neighborhoods, which are now basically downtown Los Angeles, he was upset about it and so he went around and documented all these homes by painting them and I have a couple of his books of his paintings of these houses because there's mm-hmm. just something so emotional about it
1: oh that's that's super i'm gonna i'm going to read about leo pledi
0: i know it's so it's I love when people want to capture something like that for future generations and and pass that on like this is how it was i i feel like your book is a place (laughs) in my mind kingston
1: exists i tried very hard to make kingston feel like a real city and not necessarily like a collection of streets that people were traveling upon to get from one plot point to the other
0: hmm It felt it felt sensual. I felt like I was there.
1: Yay. How long did it take you to write Witchmark? Hmm. That's hard to that's hard to decide because i I I must have thought about the book for about six months where I didn't. I would write down like meta commentary about the book. I was like, one idea I have for the book is and then I blah 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 blah. I did that for about six months. Mm-hmm. And I did that because I had this world and I had this kind of this concept and I knew what I, what I wanted one of the major plot lines to be, but it wasn't enough. I needed more. And um, it was 2014, which was the 100th anniversary of the year Canada entered World War I. And uh, I had been reading a lot about the like the real-time historical march of Canada's involvement in the war and I saw this picture of a bunch of soldiers standing at parade rest in a street and it went click and the whole book just kind of tumbled into my head it tumbled into my head I wrote the first draft in about seven weeks (laughs) wow I didn't do anything I got up I would write and then I'd be like, I am done writing for the day. And two hours later, I'd be back at it because the story was in my head and I just, I had to, I had to get it out. Okay. This is so cool. I'm going to link to your blog because you have some
0: posts there that I think will be awesome for aspiring writers or fellow writers who are interested in, in or readers, I think, who are interested in the writing process. Yeah. You... you introduced me to something called the reverse outline and then you followed that blog post up with a blog post saying that you outline after all of what you just described basically yeah
1: yeah basically what I do with the reverse outline is I take what I wrote and I analyze it scene by scene to see what the the progress of the story is throughout the scenes are and then that'll help me see if I have a scene that's a little bit weak not you know pushing the forward is a story forward or doing what it needs to do, or maybe it has a conversation that drags on too long or whatever, but I analyze the heck out of it. Wow. And then, and then after that, I write a synopsis of the corrected version of the story. Hmm. And, and then once I've got the synopsis, I basically put that on one side of my monitor and then I put the manuscript on the other side of my monitor and I would like Go through the manuscript from line one to the very last line, comparing it to the synopsis, anywhere where the synopsis didn't match what was on the page or changed the page so it matches the synopsis. It's kind of a weird way to do it, but. Oh, there's a, a very
0: satisfying for graph for people that like graphs. <laughs> 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 there's a visual. You know, I can feel all of that work. One of the most remarkable, notable things about Witchmark to me is that. By the time I got to the end of it, I was just in awe of the structure because I was like, "Wow, she basically spends ninety percent of the book." I don't know; I'm just pulling that number out. It could be eighty percent, but eighty to ninety percent of the book is a very entertaining setup. And then that last ten to twenty percent is just payoff, payoff, payoff. And I was like, "Wow, this is so <laughs> so intentional and so." satisfying i'm a structure nut i really like structure i'm a movie person that i first learned about story structure through movies so it Uh interests me when a novel has that kind of payoff like that kind of setup and payoff and you did it so beautifully
1: i kind of visualize the story as as like a full a full like horizon to horizon rainbow and every color in the rainbow is a plot point and they all kind of have to be together and and so when i got to the end i was like all of this stuff has to tie together all of this stuff has to be connected and it was like this great big horrible picture and i was like that's awful perfect (laughs) perfect i'm gonna write it down (laughs) I love your I love your mind.
0: You're like, I picture it like a rainbow. It's so creative. It's such an interesting way to think about it.
1: I don't know if I have I don't think I have a blog post up that shows like what I work with within Scrivener, which is the program that I use when I'm drafting a novel. Mm-hmm. It's very color coded. I'm very into my color coding. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I saw that in the graph when you were describing the reverse outline. It was green is this and yellow is that. and You had color coded it to to say what was working, what wasn't working,
1: what needed more work. Yeah, and and that's something that I do in Scrivener, which gives me a lot of organizational control, which gives me the illusion that I actually have control over what I'm writing in the story. Mm -hmm. There's something comforting about it. I find that's true.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think you can outline and plan and structure to your heart's content, but any way you cut it, you have to get those words on the page. And there is a discovery process that happens. I feel like a lot of the structure and outlining is for the sake of the writer, just to feel grounded. And like, (laughs) there's some, there's like a little security blanket, like, I know exactly what I'm doing, but really I don't.
1: Yeah. I, I don't know. Like people will ask me, are you a plotter? are you a pantser? And I say, I honestly don't know because I feel like I spend a lot of time planning, but I don't necessarily like write it down as a plan. I write down all of this information that maybe doesn't necessarily have a structure. Mm -hmm. And then I write the story and then I impose a structure on the story after that.
0: Yeah. Will it work for Witchmark. I mean, and from what I can see of the reviews, Stormsong just carries that forward. People are loving Stormsong, which makes me really excited to crack it open.
1: I'm really glad because I feel like I took some risks with that. Like having the, the protagonists of my second novel in the series be the character that everybody like wants to drown in a bucket in the first novel, <laughs> that is a risk. Yeah. That is a big risk, but I wanted I wanted to basically show like the the story that I wanted to tell was I wanted to tell the story of somebody recognizing that their lives are better because other people suffered for it, and basically saying you know what this is wrong, I right. have to fix this, and then going through the process of realizing it. One of the things that people have told me is that they they had the experience of reading grace being wrong and they know that she's wrong and they're like figure it out grace figure it out figure it out baby don't mess this up on me
0: yeah yeah and you can tell she loves her brother too so there's like a little ray of hope a thread of hope where you're like come on come on this she's she's got to start turning around at some point here
1: yeah, well, I mean, that was the other thing, too, is that they have that very complicated family dynamic because they they loved each other growing up. Yeah. And that um, even though like Grace was the favorite child in the family, she tried really hard to protect her brother, her older brother, as they were growing up.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, It's so interesting that you divided the classes kind of into witches and mages. And I thought that was fascinating too.
1: Yeah, it's propaganda. They're they're the same. Witches and mages are the same. They have the same ability. They come about it in the same way. The details of the way that mages train is different from the way that witches train because witches acknowledge all of the varieties of powers and talents that witches can have. Whereas mages are only really interested in one thing and that's controlling the weather. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Kind of circling back on this idea of privilege too.
0: I think everybody in the Western world who has clean running water and the internet, we are privileged to varying degrees. It's interesting to me. I'm like, I'm a straight white woman and I grew up in a family that was, we weren't We were, I would say, lower middle class. Mm -hmm. You know, we some years we only got, uh, you know, we always had to shop the sales rack and we would get hand-me-downs from better-off families and things like that. But we always had food. So it's interesting to kind of stand in the middle of privilege and be like, wow, well, as a woman, I can see that, you know, these people over there are, you know, they are so ignorant in their privilege. And then as a white person or as a straight person, I can say the same of myself. And it's been an unraveling, like it's mm-hmm. been a, a slow awakening to what I have in terms of privilege and potentially the responsibility of that. If you, if you care about your fellow human beings, and I thought you did a really great job portraying that as well.
1: I really did that on purpose. I really did it on purpose. Um, One of the things about miles is, you know, he, he lives as a working class man. He like lives in a boarding house in his tiny little room (laughs) Mm -hmm. and, and like, um, he works as a as a doctor in underfunded VA hospital, and he buys his he buys his clothes like secondhand, and he you know has a bicycle that he uses to get around. He doesn't have a carriage. He doesn't have all of the things that he grew up with. Um, but at the same time, he still has these blind spots, and and it's really interesting because I'll be like, oh, Miles. You darling creature. Tea the meal, not tea the drink. (laughs) (laughs) And and he didn't think of it. It was just this whole thing where he was like, you know, with the tea. And so he was like looking in the teapot, trying to figure it out. it's like, no, the meal you eat after you get off work. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. Gosh, now that we're talking about the book, you're making me remember so many different things. This is a huge spoiler, so I'm not going to say anything more except for just for people who have read Witchmark, I must fist bump you and say the Gerald's. I'm fist bumping (laughs) for the Gerald's. I was so invested in the Gerald's, especially toward the end of the book. Uh, There was a lot of talk of them. So you've done a great job of making us care about minor characters in the book as well
1: as as the primary players. One of the things that I thought about was I thought of because Miles works in a VA hospital. One of the things that I thought of is that the units that he works in, I only talk about unit 12. He actually has a bunch of units that he works in. But I was thinking about unit 12 as kind of this collective of soldiers who are banded together. Like they share a room and they share with each other. Like they've basically taken, they've basically taken this grouping and they're kind of like they're in it together kind of mm-hmm. thing so the Gerald's you know they support each other everybody's very quiet around Bill mm-hmm. <laughs> Ooh, poor guy oh god Bill I'm so sorry Bill
0: <laughs> yeah I mean I feel like if you look at big war movies they we have to do that we have to like focus in on one platoon or one troop and get to yeah. know the characters to get a sense of the war as a whole we have to
1: we have to identify personally yeah and that's that's why i only talked about unit 12 i didn't talk about the other units that that um miles worked in just that one so that you can get that that feel of that group and their dynamic and how they how they're coping with their situation and I don't want to say any more about that because it's no, 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 don't. <laughs> yes,
0: yes. And for people who are like, wait a minute, now we're talking about lore, we're talking about this Edwardian-ish time with apples and magic and yes, all of that. And it's in a pretty slim, tight package. It's quite it's quite the accomplishment, I think. And I would encourage anybody to pick up a copy of it because they're in for a really fun ride when they do.
1: Yeah, I um I am an underwriter. So when I write my first draft, it's very short. The first draft of Witchmark was 52,000 words. Wow. And, and so I was like, okay, so this is basically a skeleton with bicycle gears on it. I need to do I need to do more. And so like I went in and I added a subplot and I, you know, tried to do my best to kind of fill out setting descriptions and block out conversations. So that they happen in a three dimensional space instead of a couple of heads talking to each other and, and, and that kind of work. Mm-hmm. Um, And it's funny because I'm working on, the next book that I'm going to have published, which is later in the year, which is not a Kingston novel at all, but an entirely different world. The Midnight Bargain. The Midnight Bargain. And it's it's not like it's not like a fat fantasy long story, but it is a long story as far as I'm concerned. Like it's ninety ninety seven ninety eight thousand 97, 98 thousand words I'm working on right now. Mm-hmm. And like which Mark was 85,000 words.
0: I don't feel one way or the other about a page count unless I'm bored. And I definitely was not bored. I felt, and it was such a satisfying ending with still keeping you intrigued to read more. So I say it's perfect. Yay. (laughs) What's the difference for you between, because the short story I read felt more surreal to me. It felt more... Mm, very, very sensual, extremely sensual and surreal. Those are the two words that, that come to mind for me. So it was different in that sense, but it made me trust you as an author. I thought I can trust this person, which is really important to me as a book nerd. Like I love the books. So it was really easy to pick up Witchmark, but they're different. So I'm asking, what is the difference for you as a writer process-wise in terms of a short story and a novel? Well,
1: I find that the thing about short stories is that you you really you really have to have a tight focus on what it is that you want to tell. You can't you can't deviate. So, you have to take what is probably a fairly simple plot, a fairly simple story, and where you're getting your Where you're getting your wonder is not from, oh, this neat plot twist or, oh, this weird characterization change or this face heel turn or any of that stuff, but from the mood and the tone and the feel. So one of the things that I did when I was was writing the bee story, which is what I call it. Okay, yes, lots of bees. (laughs) I tried very hard to come up with kind of these vivid visual images like the car is one of them like the the whole like the big fishtail fins on the back of the car Mm -hmm. um another one is like the the piano on the mezzanine landing inside the brownstone the the rooftop gardens where all of the all of the plants are in containers and the bees are just kind of lazily bumbling around. Mm-hmm. Um, I tried very hard to to get these almost like vivid snapshots in the story so that you're getting the, the mood and the feel and the tone of the story, even though the story itself is a very simple one.
0: Mm -hmm. yeah and hair I don't know I for some reason when I think of it I think of bees and hair is that weird (laughs) the hair made an impression on me somehow
1: yeah because there's like I have a pretty solid image in one of them is one of the characters hair and the sun shining down on her head so that makes sense to me it's Mm -hmm. like you know that was one of the images that I was pretty strong on
0: yeah and then also I'm curious at the end of mark. I have a request, by the way, if this is not at the end of Storm Song. I love interviews with the author at the end of the book. So I went flipping around through that and I did not find it. I did not find it, Chelsea. So I'm, I'm holding out for the next book. <laughs> but there was a little piece of information about you having contributed to a web serial called Shadow Unit. And
1: yes. I'm, I'm curious about what that is. Shadow Unit was kind of this collective story idea. If you've heard of Serial Box, which is a website that does web serial novels, we kind of came up with this idea of we wanted to write a fictionalized account of a television show and and have a writer's room and like some of us would write an episode and and they would come out and, and they're, they're divided into television seasons and all of this other stuff. That is so cool. Where do we find that? I believe at
0: shadowunit.org. And so you each take, do you all like chime in on an episode
1: or you each just take a turn writing an episode? Basically, I wrote an episode. I wrote three episodes. I wrote a very special episode. And then I wrote another episode that I believe is in season three. I think it's in season three. How many authors are there? Let's let's see if I can count this off the top of my head. Emma Bull, Elizabeth Bear, Sarah Manette, Amanda Downham, me, Stephen Brust, um, Leah Bobbitt, Holly Black. I know I'm forgetting somebody. So 10-ish, maybe. Yeah. Wow, that's so cool. There's such an
0: awesome writing community. That's how I find a lot of authors, too, just author friends or authors doing panels together, authors shouting out each other's work. You get a real sense of, like, I don't know. You can feel the love. You can feel the love. Maybe maybe it's all just very... Uh, <laughs> greedy and everybody's just out to like sell some books but I've, I it feels very loving to me it feels like a genuine like community happens behind the scenes
1: well I mean when it comes to me and other writers I love meeting other writers I love talking to other writers and and I'm in social groups with other writers where we talk to each other day-to-day about the day-to-day stuff with the business and and then we not this year, but we attend conventions where we run into each other and we sit down at the bar and have a drink and we talk to each other about, you know, interesting stuff. Um, I have great conversations with writers. And then, of course, there we are on Twitter with our stupid movie jokes and dumb <laughs> puns and and just generally, like, having like conversations like i run into the, these totally interesting conversations by these utterly brilliant people on twitter all the time oh my god <laughs> all, i just love i'm it. not even in the conversation i'm just reading the conversation because i'm fascinated and then of course there's reading everybody else's books here's the racket once you get to be a published author people give you books <laughs> they Same give if you gonna- books
0: same if you're a podcaster. I, I never knew. I like got into the business of getting free books. I feel so honored.
1: And so I will see somebody else's promotional tweet about a book and I'll be, and I'll read, I'll retweet it. I'll be like, I'm really looking forward to reading this book. And the next thing I know, this book is showing up on my doorstep from UPS. That is so cool. That is so cool. You know,
0: what we should talk about, we should talk about how to support your favorite authors during whatever we're going through right now this this for people in the future that find this episode we are currently in the midst of the COVID 19 pandemic and all events have been canceled so what can we do as readers to support writers
1: okay so in this weird science fictional timeline that we're in i think the best way the best thing you can do if it's possible for you to do it is to get a hold of your local independent bookstore, the one that's in the same city or town as you, if that's possible, and order the book from them and mm-hmm. have them deliver it to you from the mail. That That's the best thing you can do. My local bookstore is literally just down the street from me. The next page, this bookstore is great. And so I could go to the next page's website and... I can order a book from them and they will mail it to me. Well, actually, because I'm in the neighborhood, they will drive it to my house. That's so great. Your local bookstore is probably doing the same thing in order to stay open. And then if you can't, if you don't have a local bookstore that has the book that you want to order it, there are, of course, the the bigger and more famous independent bookstores. Powell's just hired all of their people back Mm. Um, they had to lay everybody off and they've hired them all back to handle mail order of books so they're oh, that's there. so cool but, i didn't know that that's awesome Yeah, the other thing that you can do is you can go to indiebound.org and they will find you a local bookstore close to you to do that so you can still get books books are still happening uh they will come in the mail just like basically because they'll probably be in cardboard just leave them somewhere for 24 hours and then open them to get your precious book out and of course wash your hands afterwards
0: yeah definitely for 20 seconds or more Yes, (laughs) vigorously (laughs) and and you can leave reviews too is another thing you can do to support authors give them shout outs on social media and leave them good reviews
1: Yes, and tell your friends what you are reading, and encourage your friends to tell you what they are reading. So what are you reading right now? I am currently reading, let me open up my Kindle, because I'm like one of those people. Ah, I'm a paper person. I have like old eyes, so I like big print. So I like, I have a Nook, or I should call it a Kobo, because that's what they call it in Canada, for Ah. EPUBs, and I have a Kindle for Amazon books, but I've been using my Kobo (laughs) a lot more often. Right now, I am currently reading a not science fiction and fantasy book called Real Life by Brandon Taylor. Mm -hmm. It's a story of a microbiology graduate student who lives in the Midwest, and it's basically about his life. And I... Usually read science fiction and fantasy, but I enjoy Brandon Taylor on Twitter. And when he his book came out, I bought it, and it's blowing my mind. Is um, it nonfiction? No, it's it's a fiction book. It's just it's literary. It's literature. Huh. It's literature, which, which I don't generally read. I, like next to it is Magic for Liars by Sarah Gailey, which nice. I which is my SFF book of choice. And then over on my Kobo, I am currently reading The Empress of Salt and Fortune by Nifo. Oh, I've seen that. People are loving that. It's gorgeous. I can't even. After that, I have um, Drowned Country by Emily Tush, which is the sequel to Silver in the Wood. I don't know if you've read that. But if you like that whole light, very romantic but not necessarily sexy romance. Mm -hmm. Silver in the Wood is a great one. There's a villain in the middle that makes me go, oh my God, he's so terrible. I love him.
0: (laughs) You know what? You mentioned something. There was a video that stirred up a little tiny bit of controversy on YouTube about like authors or readers don't buy books based on like Twitter recommendations. I was like that is not true. I, I I maybe I'm like a special snowflake, but I not just recommendations, but if I like somebody on Twitter, if I get a kick out of following them and a book comes out, I'll buy the damn thing cuz I I'm I like the person. And that's how I ended up with a number of books. I have to say, I just that's how I got Brandon Sanderson's Uh, Mistborn. Mistborn. I don't read epic fantasy, but I just love him so much. His YouTube videos and his classes. I was like, I got to find out what this guy's writing.
1: Yeah. And don't forget writing excuses. What is that? His writing Excuses is his, oh, his podcast. podcast.
0: Yes, yes, his podcast. Yes, totally. He's, I yeah. mean, he's just so generous with the information. You can tell he loves what he does, mm-hmm. which I also get the sense from you that you are the same, that you love what you do.
1: It's so fun. Yeah. It's it's like way funner than any other job I had. And I used to work as a film extra, and that was a pretty fun job. <laughs> Up in Canada? Yeah. Yeah, I lived in Vancouver and I was I would be on background for like various TV shows. And at that time, it was like, this is the best job ever. The only thing is that you have to get up super early in the morning for a really long day. Yeah, it's a lot of hurry up and wait of filming yeah Yeah. but you get up really early in the morning they feed you they do your hair they do your makeup and then you sit around in a room with a bunch of other people playing cards yeah (laughs) I've done it
0: I've done it (laughs) this is the life
1: this is a great job like I can't think of a job better than this it's like but there is a job better than this and it's writing fiction
0: oh I'm so glad that you found your way there because because it's delightful as a fan it's delightful oh thank you thank you so much for doing this i gotta have i have two questions to end with. right
1: one what is your url for people listening on the go so they can just like look it up if you just type in clpolk.com it will take you to my website perfect, perfect. Uh, and that's where you'll find my blog with like the writing articles i don't write blog entries all that often but when i do they're usually long and detailed. <laughs> Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
0: yeah i'm gonna link to all this too but just for people who are listening and i I think it's good to shout out the url and then my last question is a question i always ask and it is what is one tip you have for creating the kick-ass life of your dreams
1: what is one tip i have for creating the kick-ass life of your dreams make time for it Make time for it. I know that's like super hard because you have so many things that you need to do. You need to, you need to like go to work. You need to take care of your kids. You need to like do your housework and you need to cook your food and you need to go out and socialize with your friends and you need to do all of these things. And so it can be really hard to find the time for the kick ass life that you want. And it's like you need to find this time and then you need to defend it with violence if necessary (laughs) (laughs) yes make it a need make it a must (laughs) yeah and and if it turns out that you can't make time every day that is okay because once you're like once you're actually doing it like if your kick-ass dream is writing full-time you're not going to write every day you're going to have a lot of things that you need to do every day you need authoring and planning and all of this other stuff but Your day will be manageable at that point. So if you're not able to write every day, don't beat yourself up. Mm -hmm. Find your time. And if that turns out that that's only three days a week, then that's what you get. If it's only two days a week, then that's what you get. If it's only one day a week, then that is what you get. Treasure it. Protect it. Use it. That is such a perfect tip,
0: a perfect way to end this. Thank you so much for taking the time. I had a blast. Okay,
1: thank you so much.
0: And that is my interview with C.L. Polk, the author of Witchmark. How did you like it? How did you do like it? I know the sound was a little strange. That is because my microphone was acting up, so I had to record it without a microphone, and then we didn't really match, so I ended up favoring her end of the recording, so that's why my end of the recording sounds a little bit muffled, but I hope that you were able to hang with it anyway, and for anybody who is listening and going, wait a minute, Joe, wait a bit hold up, what is this lady porn you speak of? I can speak of it now with more confidence, and I can tell you the title because I actually really enjoyed it. When I was recording this interview, I had just started it. I wasn't very far into it, so I didn't really know what I thought of it, and I didn't want to give it a shout-out in case it was super-duper embarrassing, but it's so not. It's so not. It is Slave to Sensation by Nalini Singh, and it's the first book in the Psy Changeling series, which is long, 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 long. There are many, many, many books in this series. And I kept hearing BookTubers list it as one of their favorite series for urban fantasy and paranormal romance. I think Nalini Singh categorizes it herself, the author, as paranormal romance. And I call it lady porn because it has those moments, like really descriptive sex scenes that are not really my thing. I have to say, if it's your thing, you will love this book. You will love it. But having said that, it's not really my thing. I still really enjoyed it because, well, the reason I got it is I liked besides all those reviews that I I was seeing on YouTube that made me curious, I liked the concept, which is that there's this race of beings called the Psy who have been cut off intentionally from their emotions. And there's so many generations in now that that is really their defining characteristic. It's all they know and they're really the ruling class of the world they live in. They're very controlling. They're pretty heartless. And there is one among them who actually has feelings and she has to hide it or she will die because you're not allowed to have feelings if you're Psy. And she ends up encountering a changeling, thus, the Psy Changeling series. And he, of course, is all sensuality and all feeling. And so, it's about what happens when their two worlds collide. And I'm really interested in the way this kind of parallels our own experience, particularly if you're pagan or you're very witchy or hippie, and you're a person who has spent some time trying to get back to nature, trying to get better in touch with your own soul and the sensual reality of being a human in this 3D reality and losing a lot of the dogma and a lot of the emphasis on logical, linear thinking and and the ego and all of that stuff, when you're trying to find that, reclaim that for yourself, your sense of pleasure without shame. I think that's a really interesting journey that is reflected in in this book. It is something that I would I would say it has a lot of lady porn in it. It is not entirely lady porn. It has a great story. It's very intriguing. There is a murder mystery that is happening within the Changeling community. And I thought the story was fantastic. And that it wasn't, it wasn't like sex scene, sex scene, sex scene. I was worried at the beginning. I was like, is this really everything is just going to be like to get from one sex scene to the next? But it's really not like that. There's a story involved. And what's great about the sex is it is a part of the story. There's an intention behind it. It's not just random, bow, chick bow, wow. It actually moves the story forward and so it's entirely justified in that way so check it out check it out if if lady porn is your flavor or if just something i've said made you curious and we're still hanging with Witchmark. we've started in the book club over on discord but we've also now started reading i think because it was free on kindle or really inexpensive on kindle a book called the vine witch which I myself have not gotten into yet. But, but you're welcome to, to hop on over there and, and get talking with us about Witchmark, too, because it's one of those books that you have to talk about. It would be a good one to have a buddy system going, like maybe you and your best friend could pick it up, and then you can yell at each other like, Oh my God, can you believe this just happened? There are moments when you're reading Witchmark where you need to yell at somebody about what just happened. (laughs) It's that serious. So I hope you enjoyed this episode and, and that you're having a lovely quarantine, staying safe, hanging out with your loved ones, whether it's online or because you share a home together. And until we meet again, much love to you. Peace.